This is the news for week commencing 4th of September 2023. Job ads in New Zealand declined 4% month-on-month in July and were down 26% compared to the same period a year ago, according to data from SEEK. Job ads are now just 1% higher than in July 2019. The overall decline was driven by manufacturing, transport and logistics down 8%, ICT down 7% and trades and services down 6%. Applications per job ad rose 11% in June 2023 compared to May 23 and are now at the highest level on record. Revenue at ASX-listed Ashley Services increased by 22.1% in its fiscal year ended 30 June 2023 when compared to the same period last year. Revenue totaled $549.2 million, including $14.5 million and $25.2 million, respectively, from the acquisitions of Link Personnel and Owen Pacific Workforce. The labour hire division, accounting for 97% of the company's revenue, grew sales by 22%, while the small training division reported revenue was up 39%. EBITDA was up 7.5% to $20.1 million and net profit after tax was stable at $11.4 million. Ashley Services has a market capitalisation of just under $100 million. A recent survey conducted by Roy Morgan has unveiled that a majority of Australians, particularly women, believe that artificial intelligence causes more problems than it solves. The survey, which included nearly 1,500 respondents, showed that 57% of Australians hold this view, although 67% of those who expressed concerns about the negative impacts of AI were women. However, women were much more positive about AI when it came to recruitment. The research revealed that women are 30% more likely to complete job applications when AI is involved in the recruitment process, suggesting women perceive AI as less biased than human evaluators. The New Zealand government has launched a comprehensive probe into the alleged case of exploitation of 115 Indian and Bangladeshi nationals who arrived in the country with the promise of employment that did not materialise. Despite paying significant sums of money ranging from $15,000 to $40,000 to various agents for their visas and related jobs, most of the affected workers were not provided with any paid employment. Immigration Minister Andrew Little said the Public Service Commission would review the accredited employer work visa schemes processes after a whistleblower came forward with allegations of abuse. As at the 9th of August, five New Zealand employers have had their accreditation suspended and six others have had their accreditation revoked. A landmark case involving AI in recruitment was settled in New York earlier this month. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission filed suit against a China-based online tutoring company, iTutor Group, for allegedly using an AI tool that automatically filtered through and rejected about 200 female applicants over the age of 55 and males over 60. One applicant discovered the error when she was quickly rejected, but decided to submit her same resume with a different birth date, which got her an interview, according to the suit. The company agreed to pay $365,000 to more than 200 job applicants allegedly passed over because of their age. Although admitting to no wrongdoing, the company will create new anti-discrimination policies and reconsider all those wrongfully rejected applicants. This is the first time the EEOC and the US government that investigates employment discrimination complaints has settled a case involving biased AI tools used in hiring processes. 
The law requires a bias audit on any automated employment decision tool that scores or ranks applicants before it's used, and companies must notify applicants they're using the tools. Vulnerable migrant workers employed to sort waste in 2018 and 2019 at facilities across Melbourne were underpaid almost $200,000 by their employer, Polytrade, one of the biggest recycling companies in Victoria at the time. The Federal Court has imposed penalties of $138,600 against Polytrade for being an accessory in the underpayment of the workers. It also imposed a fine of $200,375 against the business formerly known as Polytrade Employment Services for directly underpaying the workers. PES was set up as a labour provider employing workers and supplying them to work at Polytrade on an on-hire basis. Additional fines of $27,720 and $8,820 were made against, respectively, Polytrade's husband and wife owners. The five affected workers were underpaid a total of $194,249 over a period of just 20 months. The workers were on protection visas and bridging visas after arriving in Australia as refugees from Southern Asia. They spoke limited English. Fair Work inspectors discovered that the five affected employees were paid a flat rate of $22 per hour, regardless of when they perform work, despite being required to perform night, weekend and public holiday work. Earlier this month, Amazon staff in the US received a warning email from the firm for not spending enough time in the office after their attendance was tracked. Some employees were told that we're not currently meeting our expectations of joining your colleagues in the office at least three days a week. Amazon's office attendance mandate for American employees took effect in May and stipulates they have to badge in to the office at least three days a week. The email sent this week and seen by the BBC targeted employees who came into the office fewer than three days a week for five or more of the past eight weeks or for three or more of the past four weeks. Some workers question whether the warnings were a sign of an even more strict attendance requirement to come. In a response to the concerns, Amazon said the message was sent to those who fell short of the policy, despite their building being ready for staff's return. Amazon also admitted that the warnings may have been sent out by mistake in some cases. Meanwhile, new research from Scoop Technologies Incorporated, which advises organisations on how to coordinate hybrid staffing, compared headcount growth at roughly 3,600 fully flexible hybrid and entirely in-office companies. It found that flexible outfits, those with hybrid, fully remote or electively remote staffs, added headcount at more than two times the rate of fully in-office counterparts during the March through May period this year. The research also found a strong correlation between the number of in-office days required per week and workforce growth. Companies with one-day-a-week rules expanded staff by almost 5% over the past year, compared with 2.6 at five-days-a-week businesses. In the UK, FTSE 100 CEO pay increased from £3.38 million in 2021 to £3.91 million in 2022, according to research from the High Pay Centre. Median CEO pay is now 118 times that of the median UK full-time worker, earning £33,000, compared to 108 times in 2021 and 79 times in 2020. This is the highest level of median pay since 2017 and is an increase of 16% on the median FTSE 100 CEO pay in 2021 
which stood at £3.38 million. Pascal Sorio of AstraZeneca was the highest paid CEO in the UK, making £16.85 million in 2022. Our question of the week this week comes directly from the conference. There was a session at the recruitment conference for 45 minutes, uh, hosted by Charles Cameron, with a consultant called Toby Relf. The session was entitled Heroes and Villains, and it was a session about dissecting the recruitment industry's social license. And it raised, I think, a lot more questions potentially than it answered. But uh, Ross and I thought we might tackle kind of an overarching one that came off the back of that, which was, is there an issue with the recruitment industry's social license? It was the first part of what was posed that, uh, according to Toby's research, there's a big issue with our industry's social license. And so we're asking ourselves that question today, Ross. So let's define social license to operate as a starting point. The SLO is created and maintained slowly over time as a company builds trust with the community community it operates in and other stakeholders. A company must be seen to be operating responsibly, taking care of its employees in the environment and being a good corporate citizen. So that's the definition. And I would say, unfortunately, our social license to operate is eroded every time there's a bad news story about, almost inevitably, a labour hire provider, almost inevitably, exploiting a vulnerable group of workers, almost always, migrants or people who are here on some form of temporary or student visa. And you don't see the good news stories. Very rarely do you see the good news stories published. So I think the issue is the narrative, uh, which unfortunately the recruitment industry does not control. And that's the thing we should be having a conversation about, how we take back control or how we assert more control over the narrative. What do you think, Adele? Yeah, I have to agree that, you know, based on the definition and and the idea um, that Charles Cameron is posing to us to say, you know, there is an issue in our industry, you know, I I think a lot of us would agree. We don't disagree that we are unfortunately defined by those really poor operators, those ones that hit the, the news headlines, and that defines our whole industry, as you said, Ross. You know, the labour hire licensing scheme was supposed to weed these ones out, was supposed to rid us of these uh, these villains, rid us of these terrible operators and get rid of them, and it is doing that to some extent. Uh, it does obviously get rid of um, or fine or close down companies like that. However, you know, the media, as we know, you know, want to sell news and, you know, bad news sell stories faster than good news. So they're always going to focus on that and it brings us all down. Uh but I, so yeah, at a, at a surface level, I agree there's an issue. Uh, I think it could be addressed, as you said, potentially by us being better at how we promote it. And, you know, that kind of led into a second session that happened the second day uh, of trying to perhaps further define what might be the path ahead that the RCSA might consider. And nothing has been decided there, of course, but uh, a few ideas were thrown around and posed in that second session as well. Yeah, I think it opened up the conversation. It didn't offer, nor did it pretend to offer solutions, but 
the starting point is amongst, well, at least the RCSA members to acknowledge that it's a problem. It's a problem that we would like to solve or put some resources towards solving. And then the RCSA board can decide what path forward. And I, although, you know, some aspects of the presentation, I was like, you know, I could argue the toss on that and I'm not quite sure about that. I do think we have to acknowledge that it's something we should be concerned about. And the Love Your Work campaign that the RCSA uh, has undertaken, I think, has been a start. But any campaign costs money. As soon as you're talking about marketing and awareness raising and PR and getting the media interested in the good news stories, that all takes money. You've got to have resources to employ people to uh, do this sort of work, to find the stories, to write the stories, to guide the time-poor media towards these stories. And I just think, you know, we're we're a long way off that. The RCSA is barely 20 people. We need more money and we need more people inside the RCSA to do that sort of work. Well, you're right. The RCSA employee group is is less than 20, but the membership's much broader and they could also assist some manpower in this this sort of solution. The fact they haven't, Ross, is interesting. You know, is it an issue? You know, that's what we're debating here. Is it really an issue? Is it is it causing us concern? Is it losing us business? You know, are we are we having an impact? Are we at a crisis point in our industry because of this idea of a poor social license? You know, I really would love to hear from our listeners and hear what other people think of this idea. Uh, we are saying that there is indication that it is uh, poor. Toby's research, albeit uh, I have to say, I wasn't totally convinced the research was as uh, valid as it perhaps should be. Certainly the sample size was really small and and the method in which it was um, collected may be questionable as well. But, um, you know, put all that aside, you know, I I don't necessarily disagree that there might be an issue there, but maybe people have not moved before now or done anything or really taken up the mantle on this because it really isn't that much of an issue. Well, I think the first place to start is the office of the Minister for Employment and Workplace Relations, Tony Burke, because from what Charles said, Tony Burke basically lumps the whole industry in with the poor practice labour hire operators, which is very concerning and is misguided or wrong, as we think the Minister's view might be. It is the Minister's view. And clearly, that's a very powerful view in the context of the current federal government's policy. And clearly, that's a place to start. Let's start with the minister and and discussing our social license with him, because he's the one who's got the most influence in terms of policy. And perhaps we can worry about members of the community uh, after that. To be continued, Adele, yes, I, think, I think is so. how I summarise. I'm not sure how to end discussion. this one, so I think you're right. I think it's a continued conversation and we look forward to perhaps bringing you more info as it comes to light for us as well. But we open the conversation to all of you and, and please talk to us when you see us physically and, and online or, you know, uh, talk to us and communicate through the channels that we release this podcast on. We'd love to hear what people think. Great. And the LinkedIn Um, post for Recruitment News Australia for this episode. Perhaps leave your comments for us to consider.